Welcome to episode number two of So Stignatious, the podcast where the name is made up, but the people are real. Today you get to hear just exactly how that name was made up as I interview my good friend and co-creator of the word Stignatious, Jacob Kaplan. You'll hear that the word initially was supposed to be synonymous with arrogant, but with the podcast comes new meaning. Today, when I say stignatious, I mean to say curious. This show is about chasing curiosities and maybe making something out of it, and that's exactly what Jacob Kaplan has done. We'll talk about his aspiring entertainment and comedy career, his love for history, and how he thinks he can reconcile the two into a successful profession. Uh, Last forewarning, this episode contains a mild bit of strong language, so please listen at your own discretion. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy. So um, my guest today, I've been friends with for a really long time. We grew up going to summer camp together and always have a really lively and pretty funny conversation every time we're together. But um, he also does a lot of really interesting things. And and that's why we're going to have him on the show today. Um, So without further ado, welcome uh, Jacob Kaplan. Hello. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, So... Jacob and I, like I said, we've known each other for a really long time, and we haven't had a conversation in in a bit. We we like to get on the phone and have long conversations, and one of the first topics of this conversations always are about if either of us have seen any good movies lately. Um, so I'll I'll let you uh, go ahead and answer that. Um. Yeah. So I haven't. I guess it's a two pronged answer. Um. In terms of, I haven't seen a ton of movies in the theaters recently. The most recent movie I saw was Booksmart, um, which I highly recommend. I was a big fan of it. I thought it was very funny. Um, you know, I feel like it was not, uh, not to, you know, be a film critic about it, but, you know, I think that it wasn't necessarily the most original of concepts, but very funny always good to see a comedy in the theaters which you know people don't really do so much anymore you kind of forget what it's like to laugh with a big group of people um um, so i and and if you've seen it we can talk about it um but i would say that the other prong of it kind of a summer project that i've had is that i want to watch every um movie that's won best picture for the Oscars, which, you know, in total is like 91 movies. So I've gotten a slow start, but I've watched the first couple. Um, it's a little painful through the beginning, but, you know, I committed myself to it, so I might as well. That's a uh, that's a really good goal, actually. I think that's something I could be interested in picking up on. Um, but yeah, I've, I've also seen Booksmart. That was the most recent film I've seen. Um, in terms of lack of originality, I feel very it's like a female super bad which is like by no stretch a bad thing because super bad is an awesome movie um right. the other thing that impressed me about it it's like yeah i really don't know all that much about film but like i thought they did a very good job varying all the different shots and you know like i, I thought they did a really good job with the camera work but 
disclaimer, I really don't know anything about that stuff. Yeah, I mean, when I, for me, I guess, like, generally, when I watch a comedy, I, like, don't even pay attention to that, which I'm sure if I took a film class on theory or whatever, I would be scolded for. But, you know, I, you know, I guess I was more focused on, like, the writing, especially. Um, But, yeah, now that, yeah, I'm trying to think of it. Yeah, they had some, like, that shot in the pool was very fun. Um, You know, you see, like, the leg where she's, like, finding the girl. And then you see the girl, like, her by her legs. And then it goes, like, that was a cool shot for sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I I thought they they did a lot of cool stuff in that, like, whole party sequence. But um, the other movie I'm excited about, the fourth Toy Story. So the other thing is uh, Mm. Jacob and I are, like, very into <laughs> Pixar films. I mean, I I just love how like good of a job they do conveying emotion through like animated and animate objects, which is just like incredible to me that they're able to do such a good job. And there's also this whole Pixar theory of them all being in the same universe. There's like this deep rabbit hole you can climb down that we uh, find ourselves guilty of doing sometimes, or um, making up stories. About yeah, because I remember. <laughs> yeah. After Inside Out, we like had a conversation till 3 a.m. just like about the nuances and theories of the film, um, which is just kind of hilarious. But I'm I'm really excited about the first Toy Story, and I imagine you are too. I am too. I mean, you know, we saw Toy Story three together, um, and that was a big like, and you know, just to have a franchise make that many successful sequels, I'm I'm a little bit, you know, it's. I'm worried that they're not going to be able to strike gold yet again, but you know, I'm still excited. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know we kind of just jumped right into conversation about uh, film and, and different stuff, but I wanted to give a little bit of a background for the audience about our relationship. So uh, Jacob and I, we grew up going to summer camp together on the East coast and spent pretty much every summer together for a good six years in a row or so um and that's how we developed this friendship but um we would always make jokes and uh we're always yeah our relationship is pretty based on comedy um and one of my favorite stories about us uh was when we were in the oldest age group at this camp we were kind of just standing halfway through yeah you know (laughs) halfway through the summer we were standing uh just sitting there kind of and jacob looked at me he's like we should make up a word and convince this whole camp that this word is a real thing and get them to start using it in everyday conversation. So back home, I had a friend uh, who went to St. Ignatius High School, and every time he would wear his uh, sweatshirt, I, I would just put them together because it was Saint was abbreviated. I'd put them together and I would read it, and I was like, Stignatius. So that's how we came up with the word. And then Jacob was like, okay, well, it can mean cocky because stigma is close to stigma. Like, Which no one really to knows what it means at this age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some weird etymology for this word. But anyway, through the course of the summer, we essentially got these three, 400 people to believe this word was a real word and start using it in everyday conversation. And uh, my very favorite moment was we were on a bus. I don't remember where we were going to, but um, I was Someone talking to one of the counselors, and I was like, yeah, Stignatius, like it's totally a 
crazy real word. I can't believe no one even like really knew about it, but like, that's such a like cool word word to like exist. She's like, yeah, of course it's a word. I'm an English major. And that was like my favorite thing ever. And we, once we told everybody it wasn't real, they came up to us like, oh man, I was going to write that in essays and I've been writing that home to my parents and letters. And um, that was just a really good time. But that's just some background about where Jacob and I come from together. Um, I thought it was really interesting hearing you talk about movies this time too, because uh, you have some experience now within the world and business world of entertainment. Um, do you talk about that for a little bit? <laughs> um, so I am a student currently in New York City, a uh, big city of dreams. And I, for the last You can say years, Columbia. It's not pretentious. <laughs> but is it stignatious? Huh? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so I go to Columbia. And since the fall of my sophomore year, I have interned at Saturday Night Live, SNL for short. Um, and then currently I am, for the summer, interning at Late Night with Seth Meyers, which uh, is also very, very cool. Um, do you want me to like launch into it or should, are there questions or how do you want me to? to yeah, well, to let's start, discuss? let's start with talking about, um, how, how did you initially, cause I know you were with SNL first and for longer, how did you get yourself in a position to be an intern at SNL? Cause I imagine that's a pretty difficult job to, uh, kind of go out there and get. So, yeah. so what did it take for you to get that job? And then maybe some details about what you were doing at SNL. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's so crazy how it all happened, um, you know, so that when I was a freshman, I, I do improv as a little bit of background, I'm in an improv group at Columbia, um, and as a freshman, there was a girl in the group who was a senior, and she interned at SNL, and also, you know, SNL had been my favorite show forever, and I was a, you know, super fan for sure, like, every week, all of it you know, big, big fan. So I was just in awe and like wanted to talk to her about it all the time and like was so interested in whatever. Um, so I, whatever, like this girl graduated and then she went on to do some other job. And then she just kind of messaged me out of the blue one day uh, at the beginning of sophomore year and had said, um, you know, they're kind of looking to fill sort of like a last minute internship position at SNL like, would you, like, they reached out to me, the details are unimportant, but they're like, uh, she's like, would you be interested in applying? And, you know, I kind of had had this idea in the back of my mind that I would, like, work my way up in the entertainment world so I could finally, like, intern there by senior year. So the fact that this was happening in first semester of sophomore year was just wild. Uh, and I was like, yes, absolutely. So I uh, basically worked, you know, sent my resume, got my resume ready, all of that. Um, sent it over to her and then she passed it along to them and then I didn't hear anything for a bunch of days um, and then I got an email from who, the person who's now my boss not to give away the end of the story but uh, basically saying like oh just received your resume like would you want to come over uh, and interview and like that was already just the biggest moment of my life like actually being able to go into the physical building and like interview like at this point I still had no expectation that I was going to get it um and like really thought that I was just kind of like scamming the system like I really didn't belong you know whatever like I had done the other thing is that uh 
as I learned when I got there, so many of the interns who were there, like they do a ton of internships every semester. They're like uh, film majors at NYU. Meanwhile, I'm like a history major. Um, and uh, and um, uh, <clears throat> so I like really thought there was no shot of this. Um, I had done like one internship before. So I go in and I interview and it's like, the first, like I didn't actually know this until I left, but when I walked into the building, I was being interviewed in Lauren Michaels' office, uh, who, for those plebeians out there, is the executive producer and creator of the show. Um, so like there's like, pictures of him and his family and like old cast members everywhere. And like, that was insane. Um, and it's like a very, it was a very casual interview. Like they were all so, so cool. And like, I did not, you know, I was trying to just kind of like put on my best like whatever, not freaking out persona. Um, so I interview, I leave, wait a few more days, interview again, um, just because there's like a couple rounds. And then one day I like finally I heard back and they were like, yes, you know, we'd love to have you for the semester. Um, so that was just incredible. And kind of as a little bit more background, what I do is I like specifically the internship is like for, I work with like Lauren Michaels' assistants um, and just kind of do a bunch of odd jobs and like random stuff for him personally. Um, so I did that for a semester and it's technically like a position that you only have for a semester, but I guess I was not bad enough for them to fire me. So they brought me back on uh, for the next semester. And then that kind of continued into this year as well. So um, in Um, that you thought like by the time you were a senior, you'd maybe have built up enough stuff uh, or enough of a resume to be able to get that position. So is that, was that like, you knew you wanted that position when you um, were talking to that girl you knew that had it, or was it something that you kind of knew you always wanted to do? Oh, uh, I didn't even know that interning at SNL was really a thing until I met this girl. Like, <laughs> you know, obviously it was always, it was always like a dream, you know, like a pipe dream to like write for SNL and be on it, just be affiliated with the show. I never actually really thought that there was like a practical way that you could go about doing it, um, especially while I was in college. So she like, it was so like, she kind of at least normalized the idea that like it was something that could possibly be done. And then when I had that in my mind, um, I still like, you know, it was still as a freshman thinking about it, like, I'm gonna, whatever, I'm gonna internet us and that like still sounded like a crazy thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, like, over the last two years, especially the weirdest part of working there has been, like, it becoming sort of normal. Um, so it, yeah, I guess to answer your question, at the beginning, uh, it, it was definitely not, it was, something, it was not something that I had really even known could be done. Can you, so, so how about the Seth Meyers position that you're, um, how, how'd you end up getting involved with that show and, uh, what kind of tasks do you do over there? Yeah. So, um, honestly, that was, it's a little, it was quite different, I would say in terms of how I came upon it. Um, just in that, like, whereas with SNL, I really had no idea that it was a thing and I was just kind of thrown into it. Uh, and like the process between me finding out about the position and getting it was like two weeks. So it was all very quick. 
with Seth, you know, a lot of the interns at SNL come from the other late night shows. So it's a lot of Jimmy Fallon people and a lot of Seth Meyers people. Um, and I had talked to a bunch of people that had worked at Seth who said that they absolutely loved it. Um, and there were def- there was like one person in particular uh, or a couple people who had had this very specific position at Seth where there's, I think there's only two interns that do it. Um, where what you get to do is help write the monologue jokes and you like write all the setups and then the writers write the punchlines, you know, if each joke has a setup and a punchline. Um, and like, you know, your writing gets to be on TV. And I was like, that is the fucking coolest thing that I've ever heard as like in terms of like what you can do in an internship. Um, like, you know, what can I possibly do to get that? Um, and this was like, you know, I learned about it sophomore year and it's a little bit difficult, you know, just for any insider, anyone trying to get into the biz uh, of college uh, entertainment internships, going to school in New York, they don't like, like New York shows don't really like hiring New York students because their idea is that you can just be hired during the year. So Seth was always something I was really interested in. Um, but I didn't hold out super high hopes just because like I had kind of being a New York student a little bit working against me. Um, but I, you know, had my bosses at SNL were very kind to pass my resume along. Um, and you know, I did the same kind of series of interviews. Uh, and then I did get, you know, Seth as a, like as an intern, but the way that it works to get that next thing, like the writer's assistant or the writer's room, whatever intern, I don't know what the official title is. Um, is that you have to first get the internship in general, and then you apply within uh, to actually get that specific role. So I had to do like a writing assignment, um, and just like answer a couple questions and stuff like that. Um, so I was, I mean, very, so again, this was always something that I, I did know existed and really wanted. Uh, and then in probably the most anticlimactic way, I found out that I got it, which was like, uh, I was, uh just checking my phone and I got an email from my boss uh, who gave, and this was, and she was just like giving a lot of uh, start information for all the interns. And she's like, Oh, also at the bottom of this, you'll find like a Google sheet that has your department assignments. Um, So I just like clicked a link to it and I like scrolled around this Google sheet. And then I found my name like next to the writer's room (laughs) assistant. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. But it was just like such a, such like a uh, an unceremonious way to, to find out about it yeah um so so that's what i'm doing this summer that's so cool and i mean anyone that's known you as long as i have kind of knows you have like these comedy writing genes if you will like i mean just for the people at home like we were back at summer camp we were uh there's a color war and the both of us were captains and the captains have to give a speech. And Jacob's speech was like, like the funniest speech ever. We were like freshmen in high school. And he gave like this speech that had all the like real adults in the room, just like laughing all over the place. Whereas like me and the other captains just gave these like infantile, like not actually that funny um, speeches. And then also, yeah. I was like, what, what was your speech about? I forget. What was like the theme? I was just inserting like, like super random phrases that had nothing to do with it. Right, 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 right. I could have done right, better. Right. I'm kind of mad at myself for not doing better. Um, but one of my other favorite stories about you just having these like, 
this skill for comedy, um, although I wasn't there for it. Back home, um, back home, you had a local uh, Safeway supermarket close. And I think you jokingly made a Facebook event as a funeral for this Safeway and ended up having like, how many people came out? Oh, I mean, it was like over a hundred for sure. It was like in the triple. <laughs> yeah. So you had about a hundred people or so come out just like have a funeral of the Safeway being gone, which I think is absolutely hilarious and just shows like, I mean, if you can't tell from listening to him talk, just like shows the skills that he has in this kind of stuff um, is now, I know you're getting a lot of really great experience working for both of these shows. Um, what's like, what's the goal uh, out of this stuff? Like, are, do you want to be a writer? Do you want to work in the business side of entertainment? Like, I know you're getting really great experience, but but what's what do you ultimately think? And I know you don't know, but what do you think you want to do with these experiences? It's, you know, it's a great question. Um, I definitely have always been on the creative side of I guess the performing arts you know did a lot of acting I've since uh kind of moved a little bit away from that and more into writing um but so very much the creative side and like you know I, I Seth is a little bit different but like SNL is fantastic and I absolutely love working there um but, you know, a lot of, like, everything that I do there is very much for the production side, which has been really cool because I've gotten to, like, actually learn, like, what producers do, which I had no clue before. And there actually is a lot of stuff about that that's super, like, cool and weird and exciting. Um, so I've kind of been trying to figure out whether I want to go more production or creative. Um, and I think that for the time being, I'm definitely leaning creative, probably wanting to do writing. Um uh, I kind of like this past semester at school, um, I wrote this thing called the varsity show, which is a relatively unknown thing, unless you're really into the world of like college comedy and theater. Um, but it's like Columbia's oldest performing arts tradition. And it's a, it's a musical that is student written every year. And it's just like, it's a musical about Columbia basically. Um, so it's just, you know, tons and tons of inside jokes, um, about the school, which was like, it's a really cool thing that the school has. So I was very happy to do it. It has a lot of famous alums, uh, like Kate McKinnon did it, Jenny Slate, way back in the day, like Rodgers and Hammerstein, um, Eric Garcetti, mayor of LA. Uh, so it's like, so that was a super, super fun thing to do. And definitely like very much the thing that solidified me wanting to continue doing, you know, comedy writing. Cause it was just like such a wild, fun experience. Yeah, I had no idea that um, that's something that you had done. Um, but that's, I mean, that's also another just like great thing that you've done in this field. And like, like I said, and I keep saying, like, I know if this is something you want to do, uh, that you'll end up doing a very good job of it. Um, another, I mean, and you've always had a passion for acting and comedy and just general performance, but Another one of your passions, which isn't particularly aligned in the exact same way. It's, it's, I mean, you can make jokes about it, but you briefly mentioned earlier that you're a history major. And I remember uh, we yeah, used to sit around and be like, okay, what are your, what are your favorite moments in 
U.S. history or like what's the funniest moment in the history of the world. Um, and I think all that stuff was uh, just like pretty funny, but also showed that you love these like random facts and tidbits of history. So how did you get into history to the level that you are now to a point where you want to make it the thing that you study in college? Um, so I'll get, I mean, I'll, I'll give the real answer, which is like probably less inspiring than, uh, the, than the listeners would want. Um, I guess, I mean, there was probably a bunch of motivations. I was always a humanities driven person, which is also more that I just wasn't very good at like the sciences. Um, and you know, I liked history, you know, especially U S history. Um, and then when I took it in 11th grade for AP US, especially the teacher I had, like made me very much like be like, wow, this is really cool. This is like what happened It kind of, and also I grew up in DC. So, you know, there's so much around there. Uh, like there's so much just like going on there that's like related to what you read and study. Um, so it was cool in that regard. And then when I got to college, like if anything, it's just that Columbia has like an incredible history program. And, um, you know, I definitely wanted to study something in the humanities. I wasn't really looking to do like a film major just because like it, the it, for, you know, various boring reasons. Um, and I did a lot of like comedy stuff on the side. Like I, you know, do improv and I do like some comedic performance and whatever. Um, but, you know, like the classes were just really good and I was just very interested in them. Um, and, you know, you kind of just learn that like there is a wealth, an endless, endless wealth of references that you can mean. I mean, I guess I keep coming back to the history. Like, I think the history can be hilarious uh, just because like, <laughs> you know, it's just so, I don't know, like it's just a, in that it's real and that it's things that happened, but like, it's like, you know, sort of like a truth in comedy perspective um, that like half of why things I find historically funny are funny are just because like they happened and when they did happen, people were they actually to be happened. serious. Um, so I thought that was funny. And then after, so after freshman year, I don't know if you knew this or not, um, after freshman year in the summer, I, this was like the internship I had before SNL. Um, this was actually after freshman year, I tried to work at like Seth Meyers and Jimmy Fallon and all of that. But of course they wanted nothing to do with me. One, cause I was a New York student and two, cause I had no experience. Um, but I got hired by like the DC PBS station to write for their, uh, they had like a DC history blog. Um, and I applied to that and, you know, like I had some, I had some background in that, in that I was from DC and like, like you said, like both of the, you know, with the Safeway stuff um, and with other, like I was very into like stuff, like any type of like local history, local politics, like people that take stuff super, super seriously in their neighborhood. I think that it's just comedic gold. Um, so I, I did that and it was a fantastic experience. Totally did not expect it to be as great as it was um, because basically I just got there and on the first day they were like, like first I wasn't being paid. So they didn't really care what my hours were. Um, and they were like, just write about what you think is interesting. It just has to be related to the DC area and it has to be related, you know, something related to history. Um, so that let me just, if anything, really combine like comedy and history stuff. Um, so I did a post about 
probably the best synthesis of the two is they did a post about uh, this stand-up club in DC that was having its 25th anniversary that year. So I did a whole like profile on it uh, and like talked to the owner and like got to go through the archives of it and stuff and like hear a lot of stories about times that, you know, like times that politicians had done stand up there and times that like comedians before they were famous did stand up there. Um, but so that was like, I mean, that was just, a, if anything, a cool way for me on my own to like find what parts of history I find interesting. Cause I think the problem a lot with high school history is that one, the teaching is not that good. And that, that like, you cannot, like, it's so boring if you have a bad teacher and two, like you're just studying such wide, wide ranges of time. And like, you don't really have any choice of what you're learning that the chances are you're not necessarily going to be interested in it unless you're like predisposed. Um, so that was a big thing for me. And then I, I've been talking for so long. I don't know what, did that answer your question? Was there was something else you want me to touch on? <laughs> it absolutely did. Um, that's fine. Uh, just cause I'm curious hearing you talk about it. Um, what, what would, in your opinion, and I know you haven't really studied education as much as you have history, but in your opinion, what would make teaching history better for high school and, and middle school students and make them more interested in it? It's a good question. I mean, obviously I say this with no expertise like you're saying, but um, I think that <laughs> like for me personally, I've been very interested in like the idea of micro history, which is uh the idea of like that instead of learning about a time period by like studying the huge battles and studying like the sweeping policy or whatever that instead you go super super minor and you look at like you know daily life I mean if it's old I don't really do like old old stuff but like daily life in a village or like you know like an average American family or something like that and the idea is that by looking at such a micro level you can that can help as like a generalization of what was going on during the time period. And I think if, if high schools did that, that could probably get people more interested because at least for me, I felt a lot more connected learning history in that kind of way, because it just seems so much more, re I mean, I'm a, you know, a narcissist, but you know, it, it just seems so much more relevant to my life. And like, I can very much more see myself as being a part of it or has having been a part of it. Um, because if you're like learning, you know, European history only through wars or something like that, I'm never going to be like, wow, you know, like if I was a, you know, if I was like Kaiser Wilhelm or if I was like a soldier, you know, like what would it be? You know, you don't really think that much. But if it's something where it's like a you equivalent from another time period, I think that you could engage with it more easily. That's a super interesting thought. I mean, yeah, I guess there is a general disconnect. Um it's kind of like, so I, I've taken a lot of um, American studies classes here, mm. uh, which is basically like the, I, I don't know if you know that much about American studies, yeah, but it's yeah. basically synthesizing disciplines to examine culture and daily life in America and, you know, why certain things were popular at what times and what does that say about American society, um, stuff like that. I've taken a lot of those classes um, cause I was thinking about majoring in it for a little bit and I really enjoy humanities classes and looking at stuff like that. And I definitely think there's like, you can figure out a lot from looking at daily life and, and pop culture. Um, it can tell you a lot about a society and 
what's kind of important to them, which I don't think you get from looking at the big battles like you were mentioning. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think also if you, you know, to, I guess, te- like, I think also part of it can be teachers that aren't super, super knowledgeable about it. And like, I think part of that comes from, especially having taken these like hyper specific history classes uh, in college, like any, I mean, it's not unique to history, but like these professors who are getting their doctorates and doing all of their research are focusing in on such a small period. And like, you have to know it so well to like really make it interesting and play with it. So if you're a high school teacher, like even if you're a high school teacher with a doctorate, you can't, like you wouldn't have gotten a doctorate, like a doctorate in like a survey of European history. Like you're probably an expert in like one time period or one war or something like that. So it's not even like anyone is really qualified enough to, to use, uh, to probably go as in depth um, or because yeah, like the whole thing with micro history is that you would need to really know what happened generally and then go in. Uh, But it's just, you know, you can't ask someone to do that for an entire, you know, like multi-thousand year history of a region or of the world or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I totally agree with that. Um, Especially, you know, I mean, you'd have to be paid a lot of money to do that, but like you, at the core, you would really want to be able, you'd really want to do that to be able to, to do it well. Like you'd need to want to do it. Um, I really like the idea of, I mean, just like you talking about these micro histories and how they relate to your daily or or understanding how it can relate to your life. Um, I feel like Mm -hmm. it definitely gives a really good insight on how you combine both comedy and history. Um, and I, I really, you know, love hearing about it because like I said before, there are two things that are surface level, like history initially seems like kind of serious and not, I mean, parts of it can be exciting, but like only parts of it every so often. But, um, it seems like you really figured out a way to make it, um, exciting and relatable to your passions outside of school yes and 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 i also I, on my own have kind of noticed it seems like there's sort of like i don't know like a cultural moment right now where like pop history or like the idea of like putting you know using history for popular media or comedy specifically seems kind of big um, in my unresearched opinion, I feel like it kind of started with Hamilton, but now like you have drunk history mm-hmm. and like you have um, the new show historical. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't seem like it, it seems like there is some kind of general desire for like history, you know, historical comedy, um, stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, not to like really just not this is not based in anything. I also just and maybe it's also going to college, but I also feel like there's been a general heightened interest at least in American history or like politics or stuff since Trump was elected. Like people are just more interested in it than it seems like uh, when, you know, Obama was president and all of that. So I don't know, maybe that fits into it. I don't know. Now here's a weird question. Um, Cause you just got me thinking like people are more, I mean, again, there's no data for this, but in your opinion, people are more interested in history with Trump being the president, but I'd say a lot of people, I mean, especially where you are, especially where I am, um, don't necessarily think that 
he's the best fit for, for the position or that he hasn't particularly done a good job. So in a sense, do you think it can be spun as almost a good thing that it's getting people more interested in politics in, in American politics in our system? Um, and potentially will will spark, I don't know, the next great politician to to go out and do something about it. Do you think in a way that it could be a good thing despite all the negatives that a lot of people, again, not everybody, but that a lot of people see with uh, our current administration? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think like, like it's like, if yeah, if you could draw the correlation, uh, I, I guess it's like a benefit, but I wouldn't necessarily say uh, like oh then it's great, you know. Like so, you know, like you can make the same argument that like you know, like since Trump was elected, like voter turnout has been very high, and voter turnout wouldn't be that high uh, if he hadn't been elected. And like sure, but like you know, hot take. I personally don't like Donald Trump very much, and I guess I would probably rather. Have had him not be president uh, and have there be less historical comedy uh, and lower voter turnout than than uh, what we're currently in. Yeah, that's interesting for sure to think about that. And I don't really, like you were saying, I don't think you can spin it as a positive or negative. It's just kind of a byproduct of the situation. Right. Um, so talking more about uh, Columbia and you wanting to have time to do other stuff on campus aside from just like whatever your major is. Um, so you mentioned earlier, you're in an improv group. Um, how'd you get involved with them initially? And what was that experience like? Uh, so I've really been doing improv for a long, long time, or at least been cognizant of improv. Um, my dad did it when he was in college. So I very much grew up with it as like not a foreign concept and like very much a, a thing that, you know, we knew about. Um, and, you know, I grew up watching like Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, and great show. Uh, great show, fantastic show. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of uh, acting summer camp also. And, you know, like for a, for the fans at home, if you guys have not picked up on it yet, I think that the, the best part of um, my relationship with Jay Curhan is that we are such different people in the sense that Jay Curhan is a college football player uh, and I am, you know, <laughs> absolutely not athletic uh, as, as I, you know, as is probably why I do comedy in the first place. Uh, and we just have like such different backgrounds in that idea. So that's why it's like one of my favorite friendships in that regard. Um, but I, you know, I, sort of in the sense of like, I was terrible at sports growing up and I didn't want to like have no friends and be unpopular. So you kind of need to see what other angles you can work. And for me, like, I guess comedy was kind of working out well enough and uh, I was getting uh, enough attention by being funny. So I was like, let's see what, you know, what else I can do with this. Um, so I, uh, you know, did like a lot of acting camps and stuff like that. And you do like the same eight activities in every acting camp and improv is always one of them. And it's always like park bench or something like that. Uh, so I, I guess that's how I started. And then probably I started, you know, more for real in high school. Uh, our school had an improv group. So I did that 
for the four years I was there, and that was uh, to get into the technicalities. That was a short form improv group, so it was a lot of like improv games, um, where you know, like you probably seen something like like party quirks or park bench, like I, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then when I got to college, I uh, auditioned. There's a couple groups here. Um, I auditioned, and I'm in uh, a great group called Third Wheel Improv. Check it out. Um, and that's a long form improv group. Uh, so that means we're just kind of doing like longer scenes or like 25 to 30 minute long sets that are like all based in like the same story or they take place in the same world. And it's a lot harder than short form improv, but it's also just like a ton more fun because you're just like juggling a bunch of things at once. And like, you really get to work with other people a lot better. Um, but so I was, so yeah, so I've been doing that uh, since freshman year so I guess now overall I've been in some form of an improv group for like the last seven years and um, I'm now I guess slowly getting my foot in the door at the Upright Citizens Brigade UCB which is like a big improv theater in uh, New York there's also a couple in LA um, and I mean I would love to just do improv for the rest of my life because it's one of my favorite things to do uh, but you know I also want to be able to sustain myself and uh, own property or be able to eat so there's not you know it's not super lending itself to that um but i uh have you know started taking classes there and it's very much where you work your way up and then hopefully you know at some point i could perform there uh in a larger context um but yeah i do i absolutely i love love doing improv even i've kind of stopped doing acting a little bit but like i in terms of performance like could do improv 24 hours a day or seven days a week. Yeah. And you bring up a really interesting point. And I know it was kind of just like an offhand joke about, um, like being able to, to feed yourself or your family, um, through your work. But, um, it's actually a really interesting point that I want to go into for a second is how do you, cause you know, this podcast has a lot to do with people finding their passions and, how do you kind of juggle um, a passion that isn't necessarily the most lucrative with trying <laughs> to also have, have like, you know, a, a, a supported life? You know what I mean? Like, how, how do you, and I know you don't have to do that all too much right now, but like, what's, what's kind of like your ideas about that? And, and going forward, how do you intend to, to juggle those two things? Uh, it is a fantastic question to which I wish I had a, a more permanent answer. Um, I, yeah, I mean, that's probably the biggest consideration for me right now in terms of like, what is the feasibility of this if I am not able to find success immediately? Like college is kind of like the situation I have now is kind of great because I do have like a solid backing of like, I'm in college now and that's going to last until this time. Um, but kind of like after next year, the net disappears and then it's like, all right, I'm kind of on my own here. Um, so, I mean, luckily, like, because I have housing and all like, you know, like I'm in a dorm and all, like, I don't really have to worry about sustaining myself right now. Um, you know, after college that kind of changes, uh, and, you know, I guess there's like, like, it's, I guess I don't know is, uh, is the, the main answer I have. I think that, 
uh, I definitely want to be able to like go all in on writing for the first couple years at least after college and hope that I can get some amount of money for that. Um, you know, it is common, I guess, or I would say that it, it's, it would not be a wild thing that like at some point you would kind of pivot where, you know, you could stay in, uh, stay in entertainment and like, but maybe veer a little bit away from, uh, uh, from the, the creative side. So like, for instance, um, you know, I know a lot of people who like do the NBC page program or they work to become, or they work at a casting agency or work to become assistants. Um, and kind of work their way up through the entertainment world that way. And that's like, at least from what I found, like a really good way. It's really good for job security and it's good for having like a steady paycheck and like you're still in the entertainment world and you're still making your connections. You're not so much just like, let like I get to write all the time or blah, blah, you know, like you do have those other obligations. And I know some people that uh, go to do from that to doing writing um, or performing. I think that, the grand majority, though, that if you're starting, and again, this is my unsolicited opinion, uh, that people who do the page program or something like that, um, it really prepares you well for a career more on the production side of things, um, and you can get hired immediately. So that's like great, um, but it, it it really opens the world of production to you, which again is not something that I'm at all opposed to. Like especially through SNL, I've learned how much creative say the producers have. And how much creative work that they have in the show, um, so it's, it's definitely appealing. So I think that for me at this point, you know, I've definitely I've at least gone mostly, if not all, in on entertainment as a career field. So I think that you know, if a few years down the road, I'm like scrounging for food and I can't manage to get you know any work <laughs> or anything like that, uh, you know, if. And it's still, like, super hard to get into the page program, so it's not like I'll just walk into that. But, like, I think I would definitely be interested in uh, uh, something like that to just kind of keep me in the entertainment world, uh, but also have something to do. Because I also, as a person, like, I get so anxious if I don't have, like, an assignment that I could be doing or, like, I don't know uh kind of like uh, like uncertainty about the future is makes me very anxious which is terrible because most of entertainment is like not knowing what you're going to be doing in six months um so that's kind of something i've had to get over uh in the last couple years so i'm working on it yeah i mean it definitely sounds like whether it's the production side or the writing creativity improv side like you're going to be able to find uh, something to do within entertainment and it will just have a high level of creativity based on the nature of the industry. So I'm happy to hear that um, for you and that, I mean, even though you don't really have it figured out, you're definitely in the process and, and have some really good ideas. Um, I wanted to ask, because you touched on the working for the late night shows a little bit uh, again, are there any like, fun stories or anything like, I don't know, worth, worth telling, um, that or like interactions you've had with like maybe cast members on SNL or, uh, celebrities or, or different writers at, uh, Seth Meyers, any of that sort of stuff that's like funny to, to hear about? I have, yeah. I mean, there's probably, um, trying to think of some good stuff. I would say that probably the wildest thing 
and I got a little bit of publicity out of it, so I guess it's not like a secret. Like, so well, probably one of the wilder things I've done while at SNL was uh, this February. So on Valentine's Day, there's a tradition um, that Lauren gives like long single stem roses to everyone who works there. Um, but he obviously, you know, he's a busy man, so he's not going to walk around the office to hand out individual roses to people. Um, so they had me do it. And I had to dress in, let me see if I can remember the outfit. It was a white turtleneck, a red blazer, and like white pants. Um, and I basically was just, you know, kind of like SNL's Cuban for the day. And I had to go from office to office, like delivering these roses to everyone who worked there. Um, and, you know, I made it on the SNL Snap story. So I guess that was a, a pretty big day for me in that regard. Um, but also it was just so, it was like also, like, especially for the people that were kind of newer there that didn't understand what this tradition was. And it's like, who is this boy that looks like a freak right now who's <laughs> handing me a rose? Um, uh, but that was, you know, that was a lot of fun. Um, and also just weird. There's some pictures floating around. Um, and, you know, honestly, like from Seth, not, like SNL just because it's like, you know, SNL's just, like, more kooky, I guess, because it's, like, you get a lot of crazy guests, and, like, there's just so many moving pieces, and it's an hour-and-a-half-long show. Um, Seth is, like, a little bit more sedated. Not sedated. It's just, like, it's just, like, more calm, because it's, you know, pretty straightforward what they're doing, and there's, you know, they are doing a show every day, which is super intense, but it's also, you know, you're not doing, like, a bunch of costume set changes and pieces and blah, 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 like, that every week, so... Uh, you know, everyone there's, it's a little bit more calm in that regard. So I haven't really had, I guess, any crazy stories. I would say yesterday uh, was kind of, per, you know, not haha funny. Uh, well, actually, no, no, no. This is, this is, uh, this is good. I texted you about this when I was like, I had a crazy day on Wednesday. Um, what happened was there's this bit on Seth that he does every now and then called Seth Goes Day Drinking where he will like with first with his family then now with celebrities he'll like just go day drinking with them and they'll both get hammered and like play drinking games and stuff um so this past one that came out yesterday he did day drinking with rihanna and i was working on the shoot because they let the interns help out on the shoot um so that was just wild to be standing in the room with seth myers and rihanna as they like got like fucked up out of their minds um and it's like all real like there's they're not put like all the alcohol is real all the drinking is real um so that was just like you know i'd seen the videos but it was a completely different thing to watch it happen uh you know in real life man you get such cool experiences uh being part of the, the whole kind of entertainment sphere there in new york that's really cool um yeah, so I think uh, I've kind of covered most of the main stuff I wanted to wanted to talk to you about um, in terms of that. But there's a, a final three questions that I ask every guest that I have on this podcast. Um, so the first one is, what is one thing that you've read, watched, or listened to lately that inspired you um, or that you just think people would have an interest in, in checking out? Mm. 
Good question. Let me think. Um, Anytime. I now. would say. <laughs> I would say. Um, I'm. I have not finished it, but I'm in the middle of reading. And it's not new, but the biography uh, on Teddy Roosevelt, our 26th president, um, who is probably my favorite president. I'll have to get through the book and then it's actually a series of books. This is like a 600 or 700 page book that only gets you up to when he became president. So it really, you really got to be in for the long haul, but I'm kind of, you know, making my way through his life and like, it's just like, he's such an interesting person to read about. Um, the book I'm reading is, what's it? Uh, fuck, actually I have it in my backpack. Um, the exact name, it's like, uh, it's The Rise of, yes, The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris, who's a great historian who just died. Very weird thing. All my favorite historians died in like the last two weeks. Very weird. Um, so this is a disclaimer. But, <laughs> uh, if you're a historian, do not become one of Jacob's favorites. <laughs> I know. I really, I need to stop taking hits out on my favorite historians. Um, it's not helpful. <laughs> um, but the thing about Teddy Roosevelt, which I think is very inspiring, is he was just like a person that really didn't let anything get him down. And he had a lot of, I mean, let me make it all the way through his life and then I'll report back. But like, he had a lot of bad stuff happen. Like his, I think it's like his wife died or something like his wife died and like his mom died in the same like three days or something. Um, And he's just like always on to the next thing and the way that he did it. I was reading about, you know, his time at Harvard and like, basically he would study a lot, but then he would also like, just like have a lot of free time because he just worked very efficiently. And he basically just needed to fill every moment of his day with like some activity or with something to do. And he just like was able to do so much and he was so active um, and like just always on and like always like whatever, like if anything got him down, he just like plowed into something else, which I'm sure mental health experts would say is a a bad thing to do. But like he, uh, you know, I think he's just very inspiring in that regard of just like always moving and always trying to, you know, keep going forward. Um, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Cause, uh, one of the other guests I've interviewed for this podcast, Patrick Laird, um, is also talking, his answer to that question was also, uh, with a biography and he was just talking about how, how good they are as tools, um, to, to understand your own life and, and figure that stuff out. And I, you know, I haven't spent that much time reading biographies, but like, after hearing the both of you mention that, like, I feel like I might be missing out on something. Um, yeah, I mean, it, especially we our conversation on micro history, like that kind of just is that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the second question, who or what was your biggest help to figuring out what you were passionate about? And or you can alternatively answer who or what inspired you to act on your passions. Um, so, I mean, I think it's probably, uh, there definitely is not one, there's not one person for sure. Um, I mean, I think that 
I definitely have to cite my dad as a big influence. He was very much the one that like introduced me to all the comedy that I, you know, now uh, like draw a lot of inspiration from and like he's an incredibly funny person uh, and just very much made it a big point and like that being a big part of my upbringing. Um, so I think just in terms of like turning me on to the comedy world, I would put him, you know, definitely uh, put him on the list for that. Um, it really wasn't until I came to college that I considered the possibility of doing it professionally. Um, you know, it always had been something I was interested in and like doing on the side, but never something that seemed feasible. Um, and I, sort of in the end, I, I mean, I think just watching other people in college who at least were trying to do a similar thing. Um, and like, it was kind of in the same place that I was where like, it's not like they had any certainty that it was going to work, uh, but they were totally just like there to make the jump and kind of watching other people do it made me uh, think that it was something that was possible. And just like, you know, as much as, you know, my dad's super funny and like I grew up with a lot of comedy, I definitely did not at all grow up with people who like that was their professional world. It was always just like uh, an interest that they had or, you know, they were just funny people. So I think it was actually getting to go to college and meet people who were also trying to do this thing uh, and then kind of learning it was a possibility through doing that. Um, and that was like people in improv, some people in like theater stuff that I've done. Um, and I mean, again, like I was saying, like there's really no, what is both sort of exciting, but also like hard is that there's no like one way to do it. So like, if you want to become a lawyer, you go to law school, you try to get, you know, a job at a law firm, you work, whatever it is there's not really anything like that for comedy. So it's, it's less like there's no like one person's career path that I can follow because just everyone has a completely different way of getting to where they are. Um, so yeah, I guess it's like a lot of different sources of influence. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And like, I, I kind of almost like, there's a lot of freedom in that. Like, although it's, like, scary at times and, like, there's no one to directly, like, follow in the footsteps of, you also are afforded a lot of freedom in the way you kind of decide to go about your business and the way you ultimately end up making a career out of it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the last question is, where is your compass pointed right now? Mm. Mm, deep um <laughs> uh geographically um <laughs> i would say it is <laughs> i would say uh well actually no physically right now i'm sitting uh let me see if i can do this okay um, we, we can stop this before it even starts <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I want to say north, but that could also be, I I'm trying right. to think of what direction and well, okay. Anyway, uh, I would say, I would say literally, or I would say somewhere between literally and, uh, metaphorically, it's either pretty firmly center because I want to stay in New York after college, uh, or slightly pointed south or south for, um, you know, a bit because, uh, uh, by like a few miles because, you know, midtown and downtown is where all the entertainment stuff happens. Not a lot happening up by Columbia. Um, 
I guess it could be pointing southwest towards Los Angeles, uh, although I'm definitely more of a New York person. Um, that is the answers I would give to that in uh, more of a literal <laughs> sense. Um, um, okay, let me think. Okay, uh, where else is my compass pointing? Um, I mean, whatever for like whatever like whatever the direction of like marching on is uh you know in a very teddy roosevelt way where it's like i kind of just am in a place where i think that i just for me if i want to continue doing this just really need to build momentum and like keep up momentum because if i like because again one of the things about there not being like a directed path and they're not being like a grad school for instance that i'm ready to go to is that like i just kind of need to keep moving forward and steps that seem right um so I can eventually end up in like the the place that I firmly want to be and stay. Um, so a lot of that is like this summer, for instance, I'm like really spending a lot of time writing and trying to like have a writing packet ready. So like on days where I don't work, I'll write for like two hours a day, uh, just a bunch of different stuff. Um, so like a lot of like creating work for myself, but anything that can kind of just build momentum. Um, so I don't feel like I'm, cause like if I start by, if I start to stop doing any of my own writing and stuff like that then I'll kind of stop for a while um so just anything to like keep it up I don't know what direction that would be on a compass you could argue north because it's up but also east because it's marching to the right but also west if you were like somewhere like Israel where they write uh or where they read from right to left not to bring up Israel on this podcast but um you know anything like that all right uh, thank you so much for <laughs> joining me today, and thank you to everyone listening for listening to all of our shenanigans. Um, I always love <laughs> hopping on uh, any form of communication with Jacob because we, I mean, I hope you guys could tell we have a really good time together just kind of like making jokes and also at the same time trying to to dig a little bit deeper into ourselves and understand that stuff. So. Um, as always, stay stignatious. <laughs> stay stignatious, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Jacob as much as I always do and liked his little glimpse into the New York entertainment and comedy scene. Um, he's one of my best friends, so this might be biased, but I'm more than convinced that he's going to make it in this kind of stuff. He's been the funniest person I've known since the day that I met him. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review. I have one more episode as part of this initial three-part drop, so go ahead and check it out as soon as you're done listening to this. Remember, to stay stignatious is to stay curious and follow your passions. So in closing, I will always remind you all, stay stignatious.